0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Or as we used to say, can I get an amen? Amen? Christ is in our midst. Thank you. I want to talk about uh, Christ today. I like talking about our Lord. I was thinking about what if... um, I saw you dozing off a little bit during a homily. What words would get your attention? Christ, our Lord Jesus, worship, mask, vaccine, love... Juicy gossip, the holy mysteries. It's interesting to think about what it is that grabs our attention and why. And I would love for it to be that that we um, we would be stolen away by our infatuation with Christ. The fathers of the church talk about divine eros. An infatuation with the lover of mankind, with whom our soul is longing to be wed. And we need to strive to unite the longing of our mind and our body with that longing of the soul for union with Christ. I would love it if I were to say Christ, and you were to think, My love, automatically. My salvation, my Savior. I've been given to calling Him my beautiful Savior lately. Our beautiful Savior. And I want to talk about Him today more than I want to talk about anything else. And our relationship with Him and the way that that we're called to follow and serve Him. When when I was younger, younger than I am now, (laughs) I was involved in Missionary work and some of the missionary work we did was urban mission work in the inner cities of the United States. I was a part of a a beautiful little ministry that we called the Jesus Kitchen. We take a blanket, we take some hot soup or rice or something, you know, some some mixture that you could put all in one container We'd take it out into the city, find a spot, lay out a blanket, have some food and drink, and as people pass by, if they wanted a bite to eat or a conversation, we feed them a little bit and talk to them about the Lord. We would also go hang out at a little place called the the Hard Times Cafe in Minneapolis. I don't know if you've ever been there. Kind of a a punk rock kind on of a joint, alternative joint, and uh, sit around and drink coffee and just try to strike up conversation with people. And one of my friends that was uh, in ministry with me at the time sat down with a young lady who had blue hair and a mohawk. Probably, I think she had leather pants on and spikes and... You know, like the way we all used to dress. (laughs) (laughs) And she just had, you know, she had this inclination to talk to the young lady. And uh, said, How are you? She was writing in a little notebook. Oh, I'm, I'm okay. Well, what are you working on there? It's so touching. She said, I'm writing zeros down because I feel like life has no meaning and no purpose. And each of these zeros just represent each and every one of us in every day that we live without purpose. And I don't know what else to do. And my friend said, let me show you something. If you have a zero and you put a one in front of it, what does it become? A ten, yeah. It has meaning. That zero, which was the the mathematical value between positive and negative values. Nothing. What you know, what what is it? A placeholder all of a sudden has meaning. And she goes, put a one in front of all the, the zeros, and that's Jesus Christ he's the one who gives a meaning even to zero. The young lady was, interest was piqued and they ended up having a good conversation. She ended up converting to Christianity, actually, within about a month. We also went off and did ministry at what was called the Rainbow Gathering. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, this gathering of people from, I think it was like sixty to 80,000 people exercising their right of peaceable assembly in, on uh, public property. So they, the, this core group of people that were kind of gypsy-like, they, they called themselves the children of the living Light, go around and scout out a location out in the woods, and somehow they would communicate to... They claimed that they didn't use the Internet, but they had a website, so... I don't know how that worked. Um, they also said they didn't use money, but they did accept donations of green power, they called it, which looked suspiciously like money. Um, they weren't talking about the other green stuff that people use. Um, but uh, we, w- we were out there. We would also set up a Jesus kitchen, a group of Christians. would People just converge upon the National Park, and they're exercising the right of peaceable assembly and the ability to to be together and exercise their commonality. Whatever that commonality is, they said, well, if we all get together, we have it. And we would go there to say, well, the commonality that we all have is that God is the creator of us and he saved us by becoming man. We share the gospel with people. And uh, she overheard a conversation I had, this young lady who... We, we met at the Hard Times Cafe. She, she decided to go to the Rainbow Gathering to kind of follow us there to our ministry. And uh, she overheard a conversation I had with a gentleman. I, I sat down with a hippie looking guy, probably had dreadlocks, and uh, asked him how his time had been. How have your interactions been? Good, he said. And why are you here? What do you believe? And he started sharing what he believed. And I listened to him. And I said, and here's what I believe. And I told him about Jesus. And in the middle of it, he goes, this is really good. This is good. We're having a conversation. You know, people aren't used to having conversations without something being expected of them. Someone wanting to take something from them or to change them. Here's, here's what I believe. What do you believe? Let's talk about that. Huh. And see what happens. And the guy went on. And who knows? We were there for a couple of weeks. And I didn't see him again. But that young lady who had w- written the zeros in her notebook had been listening in on our conversation. We were just sitting around on logs out in somewhere, you know, in the forest. And she overheard and she said... um. She said that was the turning point for her. She overheard someone just sharing about their faith in Christ. I just, I believe this. I think I said something really simple like, We can't save ourselves, we need help. And we believe that God loves us so much that he actually became one of us in order to save us. And, you know, and I wanted to, to, I wasn't planning on saying that much about the background, but I wanted to kind of set the stage to talk a little bit about the missionary calling that we have as Christians. You know? Um, Our inspiring patron and protector, the Holy Apostle Paul, he gives us a word today. Did you hear the epistle reading? It's a beautiful epistle reading. I've heard it said, orthodoxy is paradoxy. And the Christian life is, and we heard that basically in every single line, you know. He says um, over and over again, we were looked at as by evil report and in good report as deceivers and yet true, as unknown, yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Such a beautiful word from the Holy Apostle Paul. But early on in the epistle reading, he also gives us a good word by entreating us not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. And I want to say to you, and the way we always prepare for homilies is also not by thinking about all of you that need to hear what I have to say, but also what I need to hear too. That we, There's no loss to those who take this exhortation seriously. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. And there's no shame in loving the gospel and being willing to share it with others. Remember, another word from our patron, St. Paul, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, he says. And belief here is synonymous with more than just a mental assent. I believe in Jesus. Believe in Him. But right after that word where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He says, the just shall live by faith. Live. And our lives as living proclamation of the gospel is something we must consider, especially as those who believe in the incarnation and its implications. Our adventure of this life in Christ includes asking and seeing how God is going to use us, even you and I, not just other people, to to explore how God can use us to embody the gospel, to embody the gospel of the incarnation of God's love. The Christian identity has always been associated with mission. We have the injunction to preach and teach and to live the gospel To make the gospel available where we live. And our mission always begins in our immediate context. It's not just to do something other than what I'm doing, but it's to spread the gospel where I am with those around me. And it begins with, I love this teaching from the prophecy of Ezekiel, but first, we have to eat the scroll. It means we have to take the the living word of God Ingest it, assimilate it, long for it to be our own, to seeking to internalize the personal calling to life in Christ, each of us hearing and responding to the call of Christ to Himself, and constantly converting. Constantly converting to Him ourselves. What's next? How can I enter into more profoundly, more sincerely the life in Christ? And next it extends into our households. Convert ourselves and then focus on our households and to our families and then to the broader context of our friend groups, our workplaces even, our cities and our country. One powerful conviction of mine comes from this thought that I think I've shared this idea with you before, that we live in Briar, Washington, or our church is in Briar, and um, there are 7,000 residents, about 7,050, roughly, and uh, two small churches, St. Paul and a non-denominational church. And I wonder how many of those residents in this city actually know that we're here. How many know that the beauty of orthodoxy is available to them? Let alone Linwood, Mountlake Terrace, Kenmore, and so on. I think that every resident of Briar should be aware that we're here and they should know that we're here to serve them and that we have something that is available to them, which they have the right to accept or reject. But they can't accept that which hasn't been presented to them and they can't reject that which hasn't been presented to them. But they they can neither accept or reject what they do not know about and if they have not encountered it personally. And it seems to me that we need to consider that there's no offense involved in working on letting our neighbors know who we are. Just like sitting down and having that conversation with that guy at the rainbow gathering, you know. And doing our best to to prove to them in a way, to convince them that we actually love them and that we care. And I know that many of the, our parishioners live outside of Briar-Linwood area. So this conviction can extend to your to your mission field, to your neighborhoods as well. I think even, you know, we live in a day and age of isolation and uh, we don't look up at each other so much, even in our neighborhoods. I think maybe as, as Orthodox Christians, if our If we take the teaching of our Lord fairly seriously, love your neighbor, we should probably know the names of our neighbors, of our actual physical neighbors. Say hi to them. Go out of our way. Even if they don't seem interested in that relationship, okay, that's fine. But what are their names? Write their names down. Greet them by name. When you see them, wave at them. And be excited to see them. I would love to... uh, to extend our mission of this little holy community. A long time ago, our father, Metropolitan Joseph, came here, and he called this a little holy community. And I love that. And I have thought, let's, let's extend the reach of this little holy community and ask ourselves a question. Do those around me know about Orthodox Christianity? And is there a way in which somehow I can share share it with them? This past week, we celebrated the memory of both St. Innocent and St. Thomas. And both were missionaries, St. Innocent to Alaska, St. Thomas to India. I don't know if you've heard read about the the life of St. Thomas or St. Innocent. But they were both missionaries going where no Christian had ever gone before and sharing the gospel Saint Innocent left his home and he traveled he traveled an entire year just to get where he was trying to go. He came to to Alaska going around through Siberia and across his continent. And when he got there, they didn't have a hotel ready for him, you know. Missionary preacher coming of donations appreciated he didn't come to receive he came to give same with saint thomas they came to share the gospel and to give and to know that god would provide the material means means necessary and they endured hardships and deprivations but also experienced the holy spirit and the power of god and we're thankful for St. Innocent, especially for bringing some order and, and sanctifying this new land, the barbarian land of North America. We still have some converting to do here, don't we? And they worked hard in order to save some. Save some. And they're a serious inspiration for those of us who live here in this country and who would love to see Orthodox Christianity known. Because it's not about selling Orthodoxy to people, it's about inviting people into a full experience of life in Christ. I often tell people when they're exploring Orthodoxy, don't don't get into Orthodoxy just because you think it's the right faith. Or it's the best version of Christianity. The only reason to be Orthodox is because you love Jesus Christ. And you want to be united to Him deeply and intimately. I continue to think about this, though, for us in the United States. We currently do have the freedom to worship as of today. So there's no one saying that you cannot come here if you want to come here. Why aren't there more people here? Okay, sorry. That's the, that's the pastoral passions, you know. Hey, you should be like sardines in here. It's all right. But this freedom that we have to worship also means that we have the option of acting on that freedom of acting on our beliefs, the option of worshiping. and if we have the option, then we also we, we turn it into like a luxury, a part of our life that we can give or take, and But luxuries are not worth living or dying for, are they? Well for some of us, it feels like it sometimes. I miss my bed, you know when we go on a trip or something like that. But, but um, my point is that worship is not a luxury. <laughs> it's a necessity. It's our way. It's our life. It's who we are. And so while we do have the freedom to assemble and to worship and to pray and to speak our faith, it would be a shame for us not to freely utilize, to strive uh, to create, creatively convey the beauty of orthodoxy to a world that's really parched in longing for what I believe we have to offer. We have the Ark of Salvation. That's why we call the word, the church, nave. Nave, from the word, same, same root as the word navy. Ship. This is a ship right here that we're in, the Ark of Salvation. And we want to, and this, this Ark is sh- sure, and it will endure all the turbulent waters of all the ages, because, because Christ is truly the helmsman of the church. Christ is the helmsman, and he's leading us in a way that is sure. There are no doubt others who are afloat in the waters of the age that we live in, or clinging to sinking vessels, longing for what is sure and not knowing where it is. And that's where you and I come into the picture. But we don't have anything to sell. and We're not here to market Christianity. I like to tease and say, asceticism is a hard sell come and die to yourself. It's great. Fast for half of the year. Do prostrations. Okay. Um let's start with how much God loves you and then you'll then the prostrations come, you know. But we're not here to sell or market Christianity. We've su- we've seen that done well and we've seen it done poorly, and regardless, the marketing of the faith results only in temporarily satisfied customers. So what do we have to offer? I will wrap wrap it up, I promise. What do we have to offer? What we have to offer is that which is worth living for and worth dying for, I truly believe. But in order for our witness to be authentic, it must be convincing, not marketable, but true. It must be true. That means it must be authentic, coming from the heart. If we believe that Christ is the way, is the truth, and is the life, and that the church is His very body, we must be driven by a powerful longing for everyone to know Christ, for everyone to be set forth with the opportunity to be united to Him and His church. The local parish must be a truly a theanthropic organism. It's a $30 word, theanthropic. It's one of my favorites. It's a merging of... Theos and Anthropos, God and man, the local parish, not just the church theoretically, but the local church actually must be a theanthropic organism, a place where the union of the human and the divine takes place. But it must also be a missionary society, constantly burdened with the creative responsibility of preaching the gospel by its dynamic manner of life. And it's it's exceptionally countercultural convictions, and revealing God by its manifestation of celestial wisdom, and the revelation of heaven on earth, which is what happens in every liturgy. So inspired by those who have gone before us, who did not receive the grace of God in vain. Two kind of main exhortations for you. The one first one is. We are Christians. You claim to be a Christian, you're a Christian everywhere you are and all, in all that you do. So, we are Christians. All that we are, do, and how we relate should be informed by our faith. The lens through which we see everything, understand, and interpret everything, our faith in God. I'm no, long, no less a Christian here at church, than I am anywhere else. Therefore, I should constantly strive to be cognizant of the wonderful responsibility of being a vessel of redemption. Everywhere I am. And if each of us individually, then all the more the church as a community. I was thinking about that, that zero story. Zero, add, add a one to it. that's at 10. That's me. Two zeros. Add a one to it. That's a hundred. That's you and I. Three zeros. That's a thousand with Christ. That's the three of us. Four and so on. I mean, look at it, all of us. Zeroes. We're nothing without him. But put him right in front and you can't even count that high. It's awesome. We we need to take that seriously, that Christ actually makes us something, not only individually but together, beloved. And I want to tell you that He does, He desires to inspire, inspire us, to cause us to be totally infatuated with Him, and to fall in love with one another too. Kind of that's part of it, not just tolerating each other, absolutely falling in love with each other in Christ. So everywhere you are, you're no more or less a Christian there. You are who you are wherever you go. We celebrate the liturgy here, and we want the ceaseless liturgy of the heart happening with us everywhere we go. Number two, we have a calling to make our faith in its fullness available to America. That's something I want us to take seriously during this time of frustration, confusion, and desperation, ask God to grant you and us wisdom as to how we can convey the beautiful and the fullness of the faith of the Orthodox Church available to the world, to those in your household, in your workplace, in your families, in your city, county, state, country, world, universe, galaxy, cosmos. But it starts with asking, inviting God. He is the, the only source of truth and wisdom. So it's not something that you're going to do on God's behalf. He's going to do in and through and with you. So, how can we make orthodoxy available to America together? It's a ter- terrible tragedy to me that the Orthodox Church has quaintly been referred to as America's best kept secret. I was talking to a brother priest. About that, I said, I just don't like that phrase, best kept secret. It shouldn't be a secret to begin with. And he goes, oh, I have a website called bestkeptsecret.info or something. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, sorry, I'm sure it's a great website, but it was pretty, it was pretty funny. So, oh, I'll check it out. <laughs> but I do think it's patently sim- sinful for us to have such a great wealth, such a great wealth, and keep it to ourselves as if it were a secret. We kind of like it that way sometimes. But it's not ours. Not ours to, to hold on to and to hide. So we must hold the burden and the responsibility. The light yoke and the awesome calling of sharing orthodoxy with the world. I believe that we will be held to account for this before our loving Savior. Who will ask us. You received My love. Did you share it as well? We have to make the riches of our humble and beautiful life in Christ available to others. I'll end by quoting our patron, St. Paul. He's easy to quote, because as I mentioned last week, he wrote most of the New Testament. So, and he had a lot of good things to say. He spent his life laboring that some might be saved. And we need to follow his inspiring example. He wrote, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. And we sing this of the apostles. Their sound has gone out into all the world and their words to the end of the world. And my prayer is that this may be said of us as well. That our sound has gone out into olive of Briar and Linwood, South Snohomish and North King Counties, and our words to the ends of the unchurched Pacific Northwest. So let us pray, beloved in Christ, to the Lord of the harvest and seek the inspiration and prayers of the apostles of our land of those who have gone before us, ask for their prayers that our feet would be made beautiful by the preaching of the gospel, the gospel of peace to those around us, powerfully, authentically, beautifully, and even convincingly in both word and deed, providing in this new land the opportunity to know Christ by the Holy Spirit and being united to His one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Amen.